0: This is ESPN New Hampshire, WGAM, Manchester, WGHM, Nashua.
1: No sleep till! And the net is empty, and Smith finds
0: it, buries it. as Capuano and Paul and that is the second goal of the night for Smith, third point, and a three-goal lead now for Ottawa. And try to one timer and band on that one, and it's skated over it by Piatt. He's got an empty net and he's got a goal as well. Well, and it rains it pours, and this New York Islander team is is feeling the pain right now. John Tavares on this one timer, and he misses, and he just can't believe that it. it just didn't get its find its way in. And then he gets another crack at it down low, and watch him put the stick over his head. Like, are you kidding
1: me?
2: Welcome back to the stretch run here on ESPN New Hampshire. I'm your host, Jimmy Murphy. That is Justin Sullivan working the boards there on a Tuesday before Christmas here in the Nashua area. A little south of us, the Boston Bruins will be hosting the New York Islanders tonight. Not been good times since they went to Brooklyn. Uh, They've been sleeping a lot when they're playing on home ice there, and uh, it's just been a mess since the Islanders went, as we discussed with Mike Shalen, to the Barclays Center. And on to talk about that and all things Islanders with us is one Andy Graziano of Sportsnet New York and Islanders Point Blank. Andy, how's it going? Hey, Jimmy. How you doing, sir? Not bad, my friend. Merry Christmas.
3: You too, as well.
2: Yeah, and uh, let's get right into it, man. It's... uh, It's pretty much been a nightmare over at Barclays since the Islanders moved from Nassau there. Uh, We were just talking with Mike Shalen, a longtime uh, writer for Associated Press. He's based up here now, but he is from down in the Queens area. Uh, Started his journalism career covering the Islanders, and so he knows the whole situation down there. Just your take. uh, We'll we'll get on to the the game on the ice and the Islanders on the ice in a bit, but your take on that whole arena situation... uh, What do you think is going to happen in the next couple of years as far as the Islanders' home goes?
3: Uh, You know, I mean, Barclays has been kind of a work in progress uh, kind of since day one, um, which is surprising to a lot of people considering that they had such a lead time from when the deal was announced uh, to get the building up and going for hockey. Um, It's a one-sport building. never was intended to be built for hockey. Um, So now they're kind of accommodating with the – I'm sure we've seen all the uh, tweets from out-of-town – Writers that come in and cover games for the visiting teams about the off-center scoreboard and the obstructed seats and the bad ice, which has become a story unto itself. Um, you know, it, it, it's hard to say. There's a, there's a, it, it, the, the New York market is extremely saturated with professional sports teams, as we all know. Um, I, I really can't see the Islanders, given their attendance history, getting a, a hockey-centric building uh, erected in, this, in this, and, and any of the five boroughs that, that'll house just them. Um, it's going to be a very tough sell for John Ledecky and Scott Malkin to do that. I'm not saying it's impossible, but for me, it's a long shot. Um, they have the new Coliseum, the renovated National Coliseum, that's going to be ready probably in about six months or so. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's, a, that's a possibility, too, although it's kind of like if you're the Islanders, would you want to really crawl back there with your tail between your legs after you know what happened on their exit? Um, so it's, it's, it's an interesting situation in Brooklyn. I think it has been from day one. Um, I personally don't think that their long term future is there. Um, if you ask me where it might be, there's rumors of uh, something going up in Belmont um, that Ladecki has been speaking to. But there's also a clause built into the lease between the Islanders and Barclays Center that they have to have, quote unquote, good faith discussions prior to any kind of opt out by either side. So that's going to create an interesting legal situation as well because what is considered a good phase discussion. Yeah. Um, You know, I don't think Malkin or Ledecky can kind of enter into any kind of contract for a new building without having said discussions initially with Barclays management.
2: Yeah, we'll be interested. Now, what part of New York are you from? I'm actually born in Brooklyn, raised in Staten Island, and
3: living in Jersey, so I did the kind of natural progression, which (laughs) I think is kind of automatic. (laughs) <laughs> if you're born in Brooklyn, I think it's kind of automatic that you kind of have to move to Staten Island and then have to ultimately settle in New Jersey, which I, where I've been for the last 18 years now.
2: And now, you know, when I guess when you were, you know, a kid, everyone was trying to get out of Brooklyn. Now they're trying to get back in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the are wrenching exactly through the right. roof, though. Right? It's crazy.
3: You know, I I I feel for the fan base today, um, especially the younger generation, um, because uh, you look at a, a, a kid like myself. I'm 45 years old now. So when I was just, between the ages of nine and thirteen was the islanders' you know glory days. Yeah. And they were just winning Stanley Cups yeah. and just pretty much unbeatable and I actually lived across the street from four four houses that all had kids my age and we all played roller hockey on the street.
2: Oh, that's awesome. And they
3: were and they were all Ranger fans. So you can imagine I had the best five years of my life just being able <laughs> to go out there with my you know, jersey on and just taunt <laughs> the heck out of them for four years. But what was nineteen ninety four like
2: generation. for you though? 94 was rough, I was, a little, I was a little older,
3: I was a little older, yeah. so I, I was, I was I think, able to handle the stress of that a little better, but um, I married a Ranger fan, and my son is a Ranger fan, so okay. when I got into the journalism thing, my fandom kind of had to go out the window, you know, you have yep. to kind of run objectively, and um, now I, I end up watching as many Ranger games as I do Islander games, believe it or not.
2: For sure. Well, you got it for your job, but that's cool. And yeah, I thought it was going to be a great thing with them going to Brooklyn. I mean, like I said, everyone's trying to get in there, move there. It's a, it's a, it's a hopping area there. You know, it's a, it's a great borough now. And um, I have some friends that are diehard Islanders fans from Brooklyn, like yourself, around the same age. And you know, they were psyched, and I'm like, that's so. I'm so happy for you guys. And, and then it's just gone south, and. You know, it's translated onto the ice. Whether they want to say it or not, it it, it does sort of have that cloud that hangs over the, the collective mentality of the team. And now you've got another thing that we won't call it a cloud yet. It's a, uh, let's call it an approaching storm. And that would be the status of one John Tavares, who's the captain of the team, the centerpiece of the team. And of course, he is an unrestricted free agent in 2018 and already... Uh, At least the Canadian media is starting to churn uh, that he will want to go back to his native Toronto, as they did the same thing with Steven Stamkos, um, and he will want to play for the Leafs, or at at least he is going to want to leave the Islanders. And your take on that right now and how you see this situation developing, are the Islanders right now feeling the pressure internally to build even more around Tavares and give him some guys to work with uh, to keep him on board and avoid what would – you think the arena is a public relations mess. This would just dwarf that. It would would be horrible for them to lose Tavares. What do you think they're doing right now?
3: You know, um, Ledecky's been hard at work the past six months um, trying to come up with a team president that can kind of sit – on top of Garth Snow. Garth Snow currently holds that title of team president and general manager. What Ledecki wants to do from day one, Ledecki told us uh at a summer luncheon in in Manhattan that he had with media that um he really wasn't gonna he he didn't want to meddle in the hockey operations side of it, that he wanted to kind of stay more on the business side of things, kind of making it make, making the fan experience better and enhancing that for the people that come to Barclays to watch mm-hmm. Islanders hockey, improving the amenities for the players and their families, et cetera, et cetera. So he really needs somebody to come in and be that team president and kind of give Snow that level of accountability from top down, which, honestly, we haven't seen um, in Brooklyn with the Islanders. Mm -hmm. You know, Guard Snow really is answering to Ledecky, who we know is not involved in hockey ops, so where's the accountability there? Um, Jack Capuano seems to be, uh, according to all the fans, the Teflon Don at this moment. (laughs) um, He looks like one, too. <laughs> he does. Yeah, Jack Jack's a fantastic guy and, oh, and he's awesome. you know, he, he has to be given credit for the back to back hundred point seasons, their first playoff win in over twenty years last year, and Snow gets some credit for that as well. But on the same you know, you live by the sword, die by the sword. At the same time you give them credit, but they have to be criticized for what has happened and that's just been a total regression. In terms of Tavares, he is absolutely a pros pro. He is a fantastic uh speaker. He knows what to say to us and what not to say to us. Um, he's always kind of measured and calculated in his comments. So but I truly believe deep down that he does love playing in Brooklyn. He does love the Islanders organization and everything they've given to him. At the same time he's a driven athlete that wants to win. Mm-hmm. And I think as we've seen in all professional sports, you know, the chance that a player can leave at the end of this contract is very real. It doesn't matter who it is. Yeah. You know, I don't think we ever thought Steven Stankos would get, as you said, as close to who he got to free agency. Um, so, I think that the, the thought that Tavares might leave is definitely possible. I'm one of the few who don't think that, depending on what the Islanders were to get in return for him, I don't think it, it could not turn out to be a total disaster. I think if they lose him for nothing, it would be. But um, I think over the summer, Ledecki's planning on having some serious conversations with John and finding out where his intentions lie. Um, I think by that point, you'll probably likely see a new team president in place, and you may even see the expiration of Gard Snow and Jack Capuano's contracts. So right there would be you know John Ledecky showing Tavares what his vision is for the future of this organization, and that might be enough to convince him to at least maybe give Ledecky kind of a good-faith word that you know as long as they can come up with a fair and equitable deal for both sides, that he will remain in Brooklyn. I think if you don't get that from him this summer... Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you have to think about trying to move them.
2: Yeah, and that's going to be a mess if they let it get to that. They do not want to be in that situation. And, you know, people are obviously comparing this to the Stamkos situation, like I referenced earlier. Much different situation. Stamkos had, uh, you know, a, a, a cup run uh, to lean on with the Lightning there. Agreed. Had a lot more successful history with that team and a lot more reason to want to stay, as they probably have one of the best young nucleus in the, in the NHL right now. So the Islanders need to get Cook in there on that. Let's look at this team right now, though, specifically on the back end. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's been all the fault of the blue line. Uh, there definitely could be better goaltending, but there have been some holes there. But two guys that you seem to be able to depend on are two guys that played uh, for the team the Islanders are playing. Former Bruins, Johnny Boychuk and Dennis Seidenberg. Uh, both great stay-at-home guys. Boychuk can add in a little more offense than than maybe sides, but though they're they're tied right now, both with four goals and six assists each, your take on the influence they've had on that Islanders blue line?
3: Johnny Boychuk has been absolutely tremendous. Um, uh, I'll tell you, you know, he first came in, kind of stormed onto the scene, had a great first season with the Islanders, had a little bit of a regression possession-wise the following season. We think that might have been due to a shoulder injury. Now, tell you something about Johnny Boychuk. He injured his shoulder in January two years ago and would not admit to us after the season that that played any factor in his declining, which he admitted play that year. And that just kind of shows you what kind of teammate and character guy that Johnny Boychuk is. Um, This year, he's bounced back and played much better. I was in the locker room when Matthew Barzal was with the team, and Barzal had two really crucial turnovers in an Islanders loss. And after the game, Barzal was kind of one of the last guys in his stall uh, with his equipment still on. And the person he's seeked out, to discuss those turnovers with was Johnny Mm Boychuk, And that's the kind of influence also that he's having on the younger guys. Um, I think he's essential to this team, and he's going to be essential for the next couple of years as a lot of these younger guys, Hosang, Dal Cole, and Barzal, etc., make their way up through the ranks. Um, Dennis Seidenberg has been more than you could have asked for from a 35-year-old veteran journeyman, Blue Liner. Um, If you would have told me he would have four goals and ten points at this point, I would have said you were smoking something, because I wouldn't <laughs> have believed it. But he's really been a steady, as you said, stay-at-home guy, very dependable for Jack Capuano. He's a guy you can put out in pretty much all situations. Um, and he's he's actually been one of the best Islander blue liners this season.
2: Yeah, he has. And he's both guys are great in the locker room, so it's good for the Islanders that they have him. Let's look at that goaltending right now. Halak and Grice uh, are the tandem that they have. Is that... A position you think right now, maybe the Islanders are scouting to improve.
3: I think they're definitely looking to move one of them. That's what I think. You you can't. It's tough to carry three goaltenders in the National Hockey League. You only have two nets in practice, one net in a game, and you're carrying three goaltenders. This kind of um, circus atmosphere with that has been going on since the since the beginning of the season in training mm-hmm. camp. Um, after Halak had a great World Cup, he's come in and not had a good regular season. In fact, the Islanders' team save percentage of 9.08 is well below the league average of 9.15. That's been hurting them. Um, yes, you put a little bit on that. on the, the quality of chances against is definitely up. A lot more high-danger shots are getting through to the Islanders' net. But the fact of the matter is the goaltending has to be better. It wasn't where it was two years ago. It certainly wasn't where it was last year. Um, they seem to play more calm and composed in front of Thomas Grice. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to be the starter tonight in Boston. Um, I, I think Snow's preference would be to move Halak. You had that situation with the Alan Walsh tweet um, where he was complaining about the situation, and Garth <laughs> Snow new? subsequently put Halak <laughs> on the trade market. Um, trade market right now is very, very tight, especially for goaltenders. There's just really not much out there. But I think at the end of the day, they're definitely looking to move one of them, and I think the one that they're looking to push aggressively right now on teams is Yaroslav Halak.
2: And what does he have left on his uh, contract? I think he has one more year at four and a half million. Okay.
3: So it it's a movable deal. It's not a horrible deal. Um I think a couple of teams can definitely fit that in, but I, I personally think the time to trade for a goaltender is probably before the regular season starts.
2: Yeah. I was just gonna say you know, the same thing.
3: I think once you get into the season and you get to, especially to this point, you know, most teams have their number one entrenched. They have a solid backup that's been with the club for a couple of months. They're not really looking to add a goaltender at this point. That just makes the market even tighter. So I think that Snow's window would have been right after the World Cup, which Halak played so well in, and he kind of missed that window.
2: Yeah. You look at that lineup right now, any other guys uh, that stand out to you that could be moved before uh, the deadline?
3: Yeah, I think, you know, on defense, you're looking at, obviously, with the expansion draft next year with Vegas coming in, each team is going to lose one player. And I think that on the Islanders, you've got to look going back to the blue line. I think Calvin DeHaan and or Thomas Hickey are the two candidates who could be lost in the expansion draft, so I can see one of them definitely moving prior to the trade deadline. A couple of veterans up front, you know, I really got the feeling that the Islanders want to keep a Brock Nelson and an Anders Lee as much as teams are going to come after guys like that. I think the Islanders really want to hold those guys in their stable and kind of pair them with the younger guys coming up. Ryan Strom is a guy who's been really struggling under Capuano's system. 17 goals, 50 points, absolutely plummeted the last two years. Possession stats have gone off the rails. I think that's a guy they're looking to move. There's been some word about some talks going on in Arizona, maybe to pair him back with his brother, uh, Dylan, who's out there. So I think Strom, DeHaan, Hickey are definitely candidates to be moved prior to the deadline. I'm not sure if any of the other contracts there are Mm movable. They'd like to get Nikolai Kuhlman off the books, but... I can't see much of a market there unless Phil's willing to accept, you know, a very poor draft choice for him.
2: And what has been the—I uh, mean, I imagine I know your answer, but in terms of the fans' response, uh, the deal they signed won Andrew Ladd to uh, after, you know, watching uh, letting Nock Poso go, and who's the other guy that they could have, if they had kept both of them, Pretty much what it equaled Uh, off the contract.
3: Also Nielsen and and Martin. Yeah.
2: And you pretty much could have kept at least two or three of those guys for what you paid Andrew Ladd. He's getting 5.5 a year. Uh, He signed up through 2022, 23. What's Mm -hmm. been the response to that? Because my opinion is it hasn't worked out too well.
3: Yeah, it really has been a poor response to be honest with you. Um, I'd like to tell you better news, but I really don't have it at this present moment in terms of Andrew Ladd. You know, it's a guy that a lot of people were heavily behind. You know, it the last six years Andrew Ladd has averaged twenty seven goals in the National Hockey League from the wing. You don't do that by accident. You know, the guy's clearly a good player. Um, but again, he comes into a situation where he's replacing a Kyle Poso who's been with the Islanders for his entire career, pretty much twenty five to thirty goals, sixty to sixty five points, you know, wingman for John Tavares, friend of John Tavares. Now he's gone, so Ladd comes in under those expectations only has one preseason game to play with Tavares, a new teammate. Plays on his line for about two weeks. Capuano pulls him off and never puts him back on there again. Never to be seen again. So he really didn't have the chance to develop any chemistry where I think he belongs, and that's on that first-line wing position playing with Tavares. Um, Mm -hmm. That's definitely contributed. Obviously, the way the contract has him gripping the stick extra tight. Um, So, yeah, that hasn't exactly worked out. I'm not totally sold on Andrew Ladd being a bust just yet. I think when you look at that contract, you automatically think bust to begin with. Is he going to be worth that kind of money in three, four years? Absolutely not. Um, But that was the going market at that point. You know, I think what fans always seem to miss is comparables. You always have to look at comparables and see what other guys in the league are getting. You look at the deal Cal Clutterbuck just signed. You know, that's less money than Justin Applegator got in Detroit. And, you know, they're similar players in their style of play. Um, So, I think fans, when they look at the contracts off the cuff, they kind of say, good deal, bad deal, but they kind of don't look at comparables. And that's really what guys were getting at that point. Garth Snow maybe maybe bit off a little more than he could chew, letting Oposo, Nielsen, and Martin all walk. And he's poorly replaced them right now with Ladd and Chimera. He never replaced Nielsen. Um, instead, giving that money to Casey Sikis, who's had a good season but is now out with a rib injury. Um, so it's just been a disaster from all... From all fronts, from top down, to be honest with you.
2: Jeez. And, you know, it's interesting, too. It reminds me the whole—you you mentioned Clutterbuck there, and I think of the success him, Sezikis, and Martin had. And when you look at it, when Martin leaves, it's like, from the outside, like, oh, well, they lost a fourth liner. Big deal. Right. Right. But we know in Boston, from when the Bruins lost Sean Thornton and they broke up that wonderful energy line they had of Paie, Campbell, and Thornton, it was a big deal, and that all those guys will never be as good as they were when they played together. But when they're together, they had this chemistry, they did their jobs right, and they were a big spark plug for their respective teams. And you saw that happen uh, when that line was broken up in New York as well.
3: That's an absolutely great point, Jimmy. You know, I think that too many, too many times fans in this situation, like today, will go back and look at Matt Martin and say, oh, he's got two goals and two assists. He's really struggling in Toronto. The media's on him. All about the, the, know, the media's on everybody in Toronto, yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, again, what you just brought up was excellent. The the energy that Matt Martin brought to the rink every single day, on and off the ice, the community right. service that he did, the connection that he had with his teammates, the the, the jocularity with Boomer Asayous, because he was dating his daughter Sydney, you know, just stuff like that. I think was what he brought every day to the team, on and off the ice, and that energy is just out of the lineup right now. Jason Chimera has just not brought it on a consistent basis. Um, He was never expected to. I think that when Snow signed Chimera, he was expecting more offense, which he'll probably get. But again, you're lacking that now intangible with Matt Martin. You're lacking that closeness between Tavares and Oposo. You're losing Franz Nielsen, one of the best defensive forwards in the game, for for pretty much nothing. I I think the Islander roster over the summer really did regress in that way. And I think that you're really seeing that. Evidenced on the ice with a last ranked power play, a 26th ranked penalty kill, you know, a team just that's struggling to get anything going in any consistent fashion. You know, third periods, they've been absolutely dreadful. Their last, during this five game losing streak, they've now scored 12 to nothing in the third period.
2: Yeah, it's it's crazy, man. And it's amazing because, you know, we're living in a world of analytics, but analytics can't judge what we just discussed there. Exactly. You know, but hey, listen, Andy, great stuff, my friend. We appreciate you coming on. We'll have to get you on down the road. Keep up the great work, and uh, have a wonderful Christmas, all right?
3: You too, Jimmy. Thank you, sir.
2: All right. Andy Graziano joining us. Oh, and I forgot to mention to him, too. I had a nice New York band here as we go out. Little De La Soul, me, myself, and I. So uh, we'll dedicate this to John Tavares, because that's how he's feeling right now on the island. Uh, the New York Islanders, Boston Bruins, tonight at TD Garden. We'll have more on that. And of course, the Bruins pregame show at 6, and then the Bruins Islanders at 7 here on ESPN New Hampshire. But we've got two more segments in a stretch run, so stay with us we'll be back
1: it's just me myself and I. This my person by stating I'm darkly packed. I know this, so I point at Q-tip and he states black as black. Mirror, mirror on the wall, shovel chestnuts in my path. Just keep all nuts with so I don't get an aftermath. But if I do, I'll calmly punch them in the fourth day of July. It's
0: a bit of a bummer we won't be able to see them play college football again, but they do deserve a pass for thinking of themselves now. I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise. It's getting to be the best part of the football season, and there's no better place to be than Buffalo Wild Wings. They do it all for you, and it doesn't stop at wall-to-wall TV's limited-time menu, or countless beers on tap. No, they go the extra mile, and from now until it's tapped out, Lagunitas Fandom Ale. That's a limited-release beer, this citrus-infused, hoppy, pale wheat ale that won't last long. Yep, I've said there's no place to be, but that's because it's true. It's Buffalo Wild Wings, Wings, Beer, Sports. Please drink responsibly. What's that noise? That's the home security guy. He's installing our alarms. You're going to be safe as clams when I'm done drilling this sucker in. Yeah, maybe we should have gone with Simply Safe.
3: The neighbors love theirs. They set it up in half an hour. No drilling, no wires, no installation fee. And 24-7 professional monitoring is only $15 a month with no long-term contracts. I'll just pop a rug
0: over this hole. It'll be fine. Go to simplysafe.com slash radio now to get free shipping on your order and a free keychain remote worth $25. Simplysafe.com slash radio.
1: It doesn't have to be golf season to enjoy everything the Atkinson Resort and Country Club has to offer. Open to the public seven days a week, Atkinson Resort and Country Club features two restaurants, Merrill's Tavern, a great place to watch sports or to try your hand at virtual indoor golf, and the Stagecoach Grill serving lunch and dinner daily. The Atkinson Resort and Country Club is also one of New England's highest rated wedding venues and boasts over 15,000 square feet of conference space. The Atkinson Resort and Country Club in Atkinson, New Hampshire. Online at atkinsonresort.com.
0: QL1, this is Control. Checking in to see how excited you are for launch. Over. Well, actually, Control, I'm kind of bored. I I think you cut out, QL1. It sounded like you said you were bored. That's affirmative, Control. You're about to travel 17,000 miles per hour through Earth's atmosphere, and you're bored? It just doesn't sound that exciting after using Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. I was able to get a completely online custom mortgage approval in minutes. All right, you cut out for sure this time. Did you say I can get a mortgage approval in minutes? That's right, Control. Minutes whether you're purchasing a new house. This is the home of the best sports fans of the country. It's 1250 Manchester and ESPN New Hampshire. Brought down eventually, though, by Demaryius Thomas. That's blunt, and he's got his 15th rushing touchdown of the season. The pick two return. That's Norwood. And he fumbles again. Oh wow! Bookends. Bookend fumbles. Bill Belichick comes back here today, and his team. Especially that defense just dominated the Broncos the last three quarters. We have one touchdown in this game, and it was a one-yard plunge.
4: Just to me, it's just a big team win here on the road in December against a really good team and a tough place to play. Uh, You know, so that's what this means to me. The hat's cool and everything, but this was a great team win, and, uh, you know, we've got more work to do.
2: Welcome back to the stretch run here on ESPN New Hampshire. Two segments left here on a Tuesday before Christmas. I am Jimmy Murphy, your host. That is Justin Sullivan working the boards. The voice you heard at the last clip there uh, as we came in is uh, Wilkerson, right? Oh, you're not on there, buddy. Sheldon Richardson. Shelderson, Sheldon Richardson that's, that's on the Jets, and that just shows you where the Jets' are their, their heads is.
4: are really in this one. They're really walked yeah, really That is him before in. their last
2: game really against the Dolphins, uh, wondering where the ladies are at, to put it politely. Yes. Uh, nice, nice. Interesting. Uh, well, on to talk about the New York Jets and the New England Patriots who uh, do battle in Foxborough on Christmas Eve day at 1 p.m., Here's our good friend. We were uh, trying to get him earlier. He got caught up in the Patriots' locker room. He is free now, and that is Mike Giardi of Comcast SportsNet New England. Merry Christmas, Mike. Same to you, bud. Uh, the Jets, uh, we're, they are just—they're just not there anymore, are they? they? What a mess they are, my friend.
4: Yeah, you know, I—I I never discount the the rivalry and the fact that the Jets, you know, they've played in like seven or eight games and been decided by a touchdown or less. The last blowout was the butt fumble game with Mark Sanchez on Thanksgiving. Um, but you got to wonder about where the Jets are right now. It, it seems like um, they're not playing all that hard for Todd Bowles. Uh, they don't believe in any of their quarterbacks. Uh, and that high-paid defense with first-round picks all over the place is underperforming dramatically. So I think they went from ninth in scoring defense last year, I believe to 27th this year. So it's just a lot of things that uh, make you wonder if they even have any pride and they're willing to bring that into New England on Christmas Eve.
2: Yeah, I'm with you there. And, you know, it's interesting. We were just talking. Uh, we are teeing up the Bruins Islanders in the last segment. We had a Islanders writer on, uh, Andy Graziano, from – Sportsnet New York, and it's kind of they're the same boat. That team, they're they're kind of the hockey version of the Jets right now. And he said it's just tough. I mean, even coming to cover a team like that at the rink every day, and it must be the same for some of the New York media too. When you're you're just in that atmosphere and dealing with players that potentially don't care right now, eh?
4: Yeah, I mean, look, the Richardson thing is an example. You know, they gave Muhammad Wilkerson big money in the off season, even though he was habitually um, missing or late for meetings, uh, you know, and I I don't know if he promised him he'd change, but he's still doing the same things. They suspend him for part of a game because of incidents like that. Richardson was also suspended for stuff like that. I mean it's just um just everything that had they had seemingly built in the first year under bowls and were ready to take that next step. Um someone pulled that step away. And you know, Woody Johnson, their owner, is a uh he's a meddler. And I wonder, you know, I can't stand firing coaches after two years, um, but I can totally see that happening in New York. Um, And just, you know, then then they're hitting the reset button button and starting over, and that's – you look at – look, there's a lot of reasons why the Patriots have maintained their success, Um, obviously having maybe the greatest quarterback of all time and the greatest head coach of all time, but there's also consistency to the whole program. And every time you hit that reset button and you change – uh, you set back your your program for years and years and years because then the new guy comes in, he doesn't really want the quarterback, but the quarterback's under contract for another year. he got to play that out, and then he's going to bring in his own guy. Mm-hmm. And then, well, that guy needs time to develop. And, you know, it's just that whole concept, and that's what you keep seeing in this division. It's all the teams and the turnover that they have there. And um, the Patriots have had great players and great coaching and great quarterback, but there's also a consistency to what they do that no one else in the division has been able to, to achieve, and the Jets are impatient, and I can totally see them blowing things up at the end of the year. And that's um, it, there's just no way they succeed in this league if you keep doing it like that.
2: Yeah, it's it's tough to watch. Even if you're not a Jets fan, just as a football fan, it's tough to watch. And like you mentioned, the rivalry there too. You know, you want to remain a rivalry. You you want to see the team you cheer for win, but you also want to see the the opponent uh, be competitive. Uh, but let's look at the uh, the Patriots side of things. And you mentioned the Jets defense. Well, the Patriots defense is headed in the complete opposite direction after being heavily criticized uh, for much of the first half of the season, uh, obviously having some controversy with the departure of Jamie Collins and Shearer and everything that just went on with that defense. All of a sudden, they have just gelled at the most perfect time in the season. And uh, right now... They are top 10 in yards allowed. Uh, they're on pace for the first time in, since 2003 uh, to finish with the best scoring defense in the league. Uh, and they've also uh, haven't allowed more than 64 rushing yards in their past four games. Uh, what do you credit to this, I won't say turnaround, but this progression that we've seen in the second half and the way they've gelled together?
4: Well, I think in some of the reshuffling of personnel, uh, including, you know, after the Collins trade, you're trying to figure out some of these new guys, what they did, what they did well, and I think they've sort of settled on, um, you know, McClellan, Shane McClellan has a specific role now, and Calvin Noy has shown enough to have a specific role, and even Alandon Roberts, who hasn't played a ton, and I think we all thought he was going to play more after the initial trade was made, um, he has a role, and I think they're they're playing very good assignment football. And that means, you know, not necessarily spectacular plays from some of these guys, but you're going where you're supposed to go. You take it on the block you're supposed to take. You're hitting the gap you're supposed to hit. And then you're letting some of the other guys, the Hightowers, the McCourties, the Butler's, uh, and now Trey Flowers, you throw that mix, make the play. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they weren't getting enough of that early on. And they clearly are. I also think, there's been an improvement in the back end with their coverage, and you know Belichick always talks about everything has to be married when when it comes to you know if you're going to get pressure on the quarterback, you have to cover guys down the field or in, in shallow areas and give the guys time to get there. And they weren't doing it. Some of it was by scheme, you know, rushing three, dropping eight, but some of that just was they just weren't they weren't tough enough. They weren't covering well enough. And now you're getting that, and you saw that in the Denver game. They played primarily cover two, um, some man, but primarily cover two. But they played some cover two man. They mixed it up. They confused the quarterback. And when guys were in zones and areas, they adopted it like it was man. And they covered him. And they were on the hip pocket. And they were forcing him to make tough throws. And that's something we didn't see from that group other than Malcolm Butler really for a better part of, you know, whatever, the first eight to ten weeks of the season. And now you're getting it and it. It makes a world of difference, and 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 certainly I think Flowers' emergence too has been another part of that as well. He's just single-handedly beating guys up front and causing some havoc, and that's you know forcing quarterbacks to to rush throws and and get happy feet in the pocket. And it has, it's come together. It's it's uh, it's later than it normally does for this team, and they normally know what they are by this point. But, but you know the fact that it's come is, is a good thing and a, certainly a positive step as they head towards the playoffs.
2: Is this another case uh, of Bill Belichick seeing something that uh, that a lot of us didn't see?
4: I mean, you have to say yes, right? I mean, because you subtracted talent uh, by trading Collins, but you got some cohesion in that defensive unit, which he felt clearly was lacking. And maybe the move also was a signal to other guys, like, this is just, we're not doing it. You're not like, I will, I will do whatever I have to do. And if that means trading you or sitting you down, uh, as you did with your Jabal here a couple of weeks later, then that's what I'm going to do. We're going to play it the way I want to play it. Mm-hmm. And you can't, at the end of the day, when those guys look at themselves, especially the guys that have been here for a long time, it's like, well, it works. You can't doubt the resume. And, you know, it seems to be working again.
2: Yeah, it's it's unreal, man. It's, it's, he does it all the time. And, you know, the other thing, he's got to be happy about. And I think... He almost seems more happy. Obviously, he loves when Brady's out there and he's throwing touchdowns and the offense is clicking and and Blunt's running and everything's working. On off. of course he loves that, but you all there's something different about his smile and his reaction when the defense is winning the game, isn't it?
4: Well, I think that because for I don't even know. I mean, how many years have we said it's you know Brady? They go as far as Brady carries them. Yeah, um, and the defense has sort of been an afterthought. And then the, the year that he puts together a real secondary with Revis and Browner, uh, no coincidence, you win a Super Bowl. So I think there is certain pride element for him being a defensive guy first to see his defensive unit go into Denver, a place that you s- historically suck in, and it's yep. on a million ways to lose, and, and at times have been embarrassed, and go in there and hold, albeit a struggling offense, but one with some talent on it, to three points. Man, how can you not? If you're a Belichick, how can you not derive satisfaction from that that you held that team to three points? I mean, go anywhere, play anybody. If you hold them to three points, you're winning 99.9 percent of those games.
2: Yeah, it's it's awesome. It's it, it's great. And I think the same thing. Like, I, there was something, something just felt so right and so 2003-ish or 2004-ish about that that win the other day. I don't know what it was, but it. You know, it obviously stems from the defense, but they, they just, they seem to know right now. They, they can taste it. And, you know, another thing, too, is I want to bring up before we let you go, Mike, is another division championship. And, of course, they have a bigger, they have their eyes set on a much bigger prize. But at the same time, it's something to be proud of, man. I mean, it's an amazing feat, not just in football, but in pro sports, what this team is doing before our eyes uh, over this span. We may not ever see this again
4: yeah in the salary cap era i mean it's it's pretty damn near impossible uh, you know just the 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 sustained success um and the domination of this division and now seven straight years where you have a first round bye i mean it's just a, it's absurd uh in this day and age with the balance and the league it's built on parity to be able to roll like this every single year and be in the mix every single year. Um, I think the hardcore fans really appreciate it. I think sometimes maybe some of the some of the the newer fans don't, and I think that's sometimes why you see a, an atmosphere at Gillette that you don't necessarily love if you're a football fan. And when you go some other places and you see a real home field advantage, um, but I think the hardcore people get it. They understand what they're watching, and they understand how difficult it is. And you know, talking to Matt Slater, and Slater's been on eight straight division-winning teams. He's won a division, I think, every year he's been here, except yeah. for the first year, which was the, the Matt Castle year. Um, <laughs> and he still went 11-5 and five with a backup quarterback <laughs> waiting for a pass since, you know, his senior year in high school or whatever. And he just said, you know, you try not to reflect because you're, you're caught up in the moment. He's like, but it is pretty amazing to be able to do this with the amount of turnover too because it's not not looking at the same roster. You're looking at a couple of the same pieces but by and, by and large, you're turning this thing over every two or three years and you're still doing it. It is it is pretty awesome as a fan. It's pretty awesome um, as someone who gets to cover it because you know uh, you're covering meaningful games and uh, basically all season long and, and you almost plan on being at the Super Bowl in February because that's how mm-hmm. good they are every year. It's, it's, uh, it's
2: something. It's something else. Well, listen, you keep up the great work, Mike, and have a wonderful Christmas and New Year, and we'll talk to you down the line, all right? You too, Mark. All right, that is Mike Giardi joining us from Comcast Sportsnet New England. One segment left here in the stretch run on ESPN New Hampshire, and then after that, we've got you all set for Bruins hockey. We give you the ESPN New Hampshire pregame show from 6 to 7, and then we will give you a live broadcast of the Boston Bruins hosting the New York Islanders. Here on ESPN New Hampshire. Stay with us. When you
1: change with every new day. Still I'm gonna miss you. There's no time to lose. I heard her say.
0: Catch your dreams. It's the Stretch Run with Jimmy Murphy. Weekdays from 3 to 6 right here on ESPN New Hampshire. The Apple Therapy Student Athlete of the Month is brought to you by Apple Therapy. Visit AppleTherapy.com.
1: This is Laura Remillard with ESPN New Hampshire Student Athlete of the Month of November with Gabrielle Masseur from Nashua North. How are you? Thank you so much. You broke Nashua North's high school across goal record as a junior.
3: So that was obviously a really special game. We were playing against Merrimack. Definitely a really great game and it was really exciting, but I couldn't have done it without my teammates helping me out and getting involved and feeding it to me and their support and my coach's support. What's
1: your favorite? thing about playing lacrosse. So I love getting the ball and transitioning it from whether it be defense to offense, getting it from the draw and just sprinting down as fast as I can and getting it to my team. I really like the teamwork and effort. On here, I'm seeing some volunteer work at the Nashua Soup Kitchen. Yep, I'm involved a lot in like within my
3: school and like sports in my community. Nashua Soup is one. I'm also vice president of National Honor Society. I'm a leader in Titan Connections. I'm a leader in Team Titan. I'm actually the secretary in the class of
1: 2017. And where are you looking at going to school, Gabby? I'm actually committed to play um, lacrosse at UNH. What is your inspiration to go above and beyond? My parents have always been there to support me and to believe in me, and I think that has really helped me become like the athlete I am and always reach for
3: the stars and go with all my heart. Push to be the athlete and the person I am. So they definitely inspired
1: me so much. That was Gabrielle Masseur from Nashua North, Apple Therapy Student Athlete of the Month.
0: Nominate your son or daughter. Sign up now at ESPNNHradio.com. map out an adventure your whole family will always remember Disney on Ice presents Passport to Adventure journey across the African plains with Simba, Timon and Pumbaa fly off to Neverland with Peter Pan and Tinkerbell explore the underwater world of Ariel, Flounder and Sebastian and trek through Arendelle with Anna, Elsa and Olaf from Disney's Frozen the journey begins in your hometown playing January 26th through 29th at SNHU Arena in Manchester tickets are on sale now visit DisneyOnIce.com today the 2016 Chick-fil-A Nashua Holiday Basketball Tournament, Wednesday, December 28th through Friday the 30th at Nashua High School South. This year's event features girls and boys teams from Nashua South, Nashua North, Alvern, Salhegan, Milford, Goffstown, and Merrimack, along with special appearances from the famous Chick-fil-A Cows. Games start at 10 a.m. each day, and tickets are available at the door. The 2016 Chick-fil-A Nashua Holiday Basketball Tournament, Wednesday, December 28th through Friday the 30th. More info at nhsportspage.com.
1: Ace is a place with the helpful
3: hardware folks. We just bought a fixer-upper, and I don't know where to begin. So I went to see Paul at our neighborhood Ace. I told Nate we have everything he needs to help him repair their home, from a wide selection of paint colors, craftsman tools, and the best lawn and garden brands. Ace is a place
1: with exactly what you need. Starting with help.
0: Ace Hardware now is a brand new store in Nashua on Pearl Street downtown. That's right, a brand new Ace Hardware store in tax-free Nashua, New Hampshire. Nashua Ace Hardware is a division of Nashua Wallpaper. Listening to the stretch run with Jimmy Murphy. Stay tuned for the right time with Bomani Jones, only here on ESPN New Hampshire Radio.
1: The season's upon us, it's that time of year. Brandy and eggnog, there's plenty a cheer There's lights on the trees and there's wreaths to be hung There's mischief and mayhem and songs to be sung There's bells and this holly, the kids are gung-ho True love finds a kiss beneath fresh mistletoe Some families are messed up while others are fine If you think yours is crazy snowballs I'd like to take them out back And deck them more than the halls With family like this I would have to confess I'd be better off lonely Distraught and depressed The season
2: What a great song mm-hmm. by the dropkick, Murphy. The it's so true. Oh,
1: nailed it.
2: Nailed it. The word. Hey, let's listen a little more. Let's listen
1: yeah. a little more. The come from the kitchen. i come home more often if they quit Yeah.
2: I mean, that's the holidays, man. Nailed it. nailed it. You know? The chaos that ensues in every family. But hey, that you know what? We, we battled through it and... We're grateful to have our families, but man, it is some of the stories and the (laughs) stuff that happens in the holidays and just, yeah, (laughs) it's one of those songs that everyone can relate to. The season is upon us. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) By the Dropkick Murphys. We are the Stretch Run here. I'm your host, Jimmy Murphy. That is Justin Sullivan. We are winding down here, taking you down the Stretch Run of the Stretch Run on the Tuesday before... The wonderful holiday that is Christmas, Christmas Eve on Saturday and Christmas on Sunday. We will be off on Friday and Monday, uh, so our last show will, of the week will be Thursday. And again, we will be at the Buffalo Wild Wings in Manchester Mall of New Hampshire. Uh, come on by, say hello. We got some great specials going there: three forty nine Bud and Bud Light Talls, four ninety nine Goose Island IPAs. Uh, of course, boneless Thursday, sixty-five cent boneless wings, and two happy hours. They've got one, I think, from two to five, or two to six, maybe, and then another one starts up Let's nine get to close. That. Two, yeah, it's a ha- happy, it's a happy place Jeez. and happy holidays, and it's it's gonna be fun. <laughs> so get any uh, than that. we get into Christmas spirit. I'm gonna go there and get my last minute shopping done, and then host the show. So uh, come on by and say hello and. Well, we've been talking a bit about it. We've touched on it a couple times. The potential of Patriots-Giants Super Bowl. And now uh, a story on uh, Christian Arkan's favorite uh, site there, Barstool Sports. Yes. Uh, The million-dollar question. Do the Pats fans want to play the Giants in the Super Bowl? Uh, By El Presidente, David Portney. And uh, there's a picture there of, uh, of a kid just... Puking on a roller coaster (laughs) at the thought of that. But he writes here, uh, this is El Presidente and Barstool Sports. If you call yourself a Patriots fan and you aren't wrestling with this question at least 15 hours a day, you're probably not a real Pats fan. (laughs) This is the first thing I think about when I wake up and the last thing I think about before I go to sleep. I mean, it feels we're on a collision course with these guys which will be the biggest most important sporting event in the history of Boston and it's not even close. I heard some people saying Game 7 against the Yankees was bigger in 04 but those people are morons. If we lost to the Yankees it would have just been business as usual. <laughs> Nothing would have changed. This game is about our legacy. Everything I stand for as a Pats fan and as a human will be on the line. For the last 24 year, uh, 20 years we've all crowed about how Pats the Pats are the best franchise in sports. An unmatched dynasty with an unmatched record of excellence. We've ruled the NFL with an iron fist. Nobody can dispute that. We've got four Super Bowls, six Super Bowl appearances in infinity of AFC East titles. We dominate every single fan base on the planet. All roads to greatness lead back to the Pats, and everybody knows it. But yes, the Giants beat us twice. And he goes on to just say, it has to happen. Uh... Hell no. No.
0: No. I want nothing to do with the Giants. I don't. I. I don't want to play. I don't want to play the Giants. I have. No, I will have I nightmares. Know, man. I will have repeated nightmares, night terrors. Actually, I want nothing to do with the New York Football but Giants. Like he's saying,
2: he goes. They Look, have a pass rush. They have a if, secondary. If they beat they're good the Giants. Again. The Giants are irrelevant. Uh, There's no more. They can't say I just, anything. I can't. I can't do it. I can't. I don't know. I can't bring myself. To watch the Super Bowl again, it uh, just would uh, kill me. It kill I'm, me. I don't know, my man. I, I'm, get, I'm <sighs> I can't do it. I absolutely not. Nope. He's starting to sway me here. <laughs> but listen, uh, we're gonna send you out right now. This is my good friend Jeff Hilliard. I knew for a while. He's uh, down from the South Shore, Massachusetts. An old friend of mine. He went on Facebook and just threw up a video of him and his daughter uh, doing "Santa Claus is Coming to Town" a punk rock version. And it's gone viral and it's everywhere. And we're trying to get him to come on the show Thursday. So enjoy it. We'll be back with the Bruins pregame show here on ESPN New Hampshire.
1: (laughs) He sees you when you're sleeping.